Amen. Thank you, Richard. The journey of epiphany is what we as a church are, and many churches around the world are on the journey of. The discovery of Jesus and his revealing nature. Not only just post-Christmas, but in our lives and the lives of those around us. Last week we talked about the idea of how Jesus reveals himself all around us. That we need to find and look for Jesus all around us. And beyond that, we also need to be Jesus all around us. That we need to be the epiphany of Jesus to our friends and neighbors. And so this week, we want to talk about finding Jesus in our neighborhood. Finding Jesus in our neighborhood. I'm just thinking about neighborhood, and sometimes um, I'm a kind of a, I'm an introvert when it comes to my in-house experiences. I, I like the moments where I'm just me, myself, and I, right? And I, I, I sometimes when I'm out hiking in the wilderness, I find a house in the middle of nowhere. You ever find that experience and you wonder to yourself, how did they even get the building materials out here? And then beyond that, I think to myself, man, isn't that a great house to live in? Nobody's around you. You have no neighbors. Right? I mean, some of us might be in that same category where we feel, you know, I just, I wish I just was secluded sometimes in a nowhere land. But in the end, we are all called to the neighborhood that we live in. We are all called to the neighborhood that we live in. And it goes beyond neighborhood. It goes to our workplace. It goes to the place we go to school. I remember having a conversation one time with a high school student about, you know, begrudging the school that she was in and, and just wishing she was in another school. And, and that happens in the KV Valley, I'm sure, right? Between high schools. But I reminded that student that one day that you are called to the school that you're going to. That that is where Jesus has placed you. So we need to see the neighborhood, the workplace, the place that we go to school as places that we're called to go to in this life. And by the time we end this life, we've been called to all kinds of different places or neighborhoods. And when our time is over, we have the opportunity to hear from our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. That's how life is. We are called to certain places, and then we're called to finish this life off. But you know what? For me, I'm not a big fan of funerals. I don't know if anybody's a big fan of funerals around here, or you know, even looking forward to your own funeral someday. I'm not sure. You know, but picture that funeral right now for a second, your own funeral. I, I don't know how close you are to that. Uh, you know, God only knows. But picture that funeral for a second and ask yourself, who's going to show up to that funeral? Maybe look around. Maybe there's a few people in this room that will, will be happy to show up to your funeral. I don't know. But... Who cares who shows up to your funeral? You, at that point, you won't even know. But think about the people that will show up to your funeral. Not because you are a popular person, but because... Now think about this for a second. Now picture that funeral. 
And picture yourself right now being surprised by one person walking into that room to celebrate your life. Not because you were a popular person, but because you made them popular. Follow me on this track for a little bit. Because as a church, we are going on a journey of loving our neighbor one more step in 2023. 2022 is all about loving God one more step, and I pray that we continue that journey. But right now, I want you to begin to think about loving your neighbor one more step. And that one person that you're picturing right now that walks into that funeral, that's the person that I want you to be praying about starting now. What I mean by that is you're surprised that that person walks in because you didn't think you had the relationship you did with that person. You didn't think you meant that much to that person. But from this point on, that one person is going to change the way you do life. You're going to begin to desire to make that person a popular person in your life. But how do you do that? How do I do that? How do I picture that one person and be surprised that that person shows up to my funeral? How do I do that? How do I make that happen? Now think to yourself, and I think to myself now, beyond that one person showing up to my funeral, I then ask my question, who's the person that's going to give my eulogy? Have you ever thought about that? Who is that one person that's going to share the impact that you had in everybody's life? It's pretty somber to think of, actually. Then I think, who would have given Jesus' funeral? You know, often we think about funerals within the first three days of, of, of a person's passing. And so I'm thinking to myself within those three days that there was conversations around the table about what are we going to do for Jesus' funeral? You know, because they, they had this inkling that something was going to happen, but they had this somberness that maybe, maybe not. So we have to prepare the funeral. Who was the one that was going to give Jesus his eulogy? So again, I asked the question, who's going to give your eulogy at your funeral? It's pretty common for kids to give the eulogy for older parents at funerals, and those are pretty touching. You get a really good glimpse into how that person was in the house. But when someone gets up to give a eulogy, not because they were related, but because of the love that that person showed them that they didn't have to. When a friend gives his eulogy, it's a, it's a whole nother thing. It's actually pretty powerful. So who would give your eulogy? So those are two people you're thinking about right now that would surprise you. And then who's the person that sits in the front row at your funeral? Like I'm not talking about the reserved seats that are reserved for the family members because they have to be there. Right? You know, your, 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 your kids are like, oh, really? <laughs> but I'm talking the person that wants to be there. I mean, not because, yay, they're finally dead. I want to show up and see this. No, I'm talking about the person, right, the person that 
you would be surprised that they, who is that person that shows up and they just want to be there because of the impact in your life? I've just talked about three people in your life, in the future, that you have such an impact on that you made a difference in their life, that they want to show up, and they want to share, and they want to sit in the front seat. Because of the impact you're going to have from this moment on in loving them one more step. Let's stop thinking about our own funeral for a second. And let's think about every single day that leads up to that funeral. As a church, we're on a journey of allowing God to transform KBC into a 360 church led by 90-degree leaders. We talk about the idea of 90-degree leaders as ones that love God, a vertical relationship, and love neighbor. A 90-degree relationship is made complete when we have an impact on people's lives. And so what I'm desiring each person in this church that you're sitting here right now is to begin to think about three people. Three people that you can love unconditionally. I don't know who those people are. I'm not going to tell you who those people are. And I'm beginning to continue to think through who those three people are in my life. But how do I do it? How do I build a relationship with these three people? in such a way that they want to show up to my funeral to celebrate the impact I have on their life. How do I do it? I believe there's three ways we can do that. The first is this. I believe we can be authentic. I think we can be interested. And I think we can be meaningful. And to do that, we have to go to where Jesus is already working. See, in our relationships, our work relationships, our school relationships, our neighborhood relationships, we feel and we often feel that we have to try to bring Jesus into those situations. But I have a newsbreaker for you. He's already there. He's already in the relationship with those three people. As a church, we're working through the lectionary, and we're on year A of a three-year cycle of the lectionary. And so we're, and as a preacher, I'm reading these lectionary texts and trying to draw out something that has some impact on each one of us. And today we're reading from Isaiah chapter 49. We're beginning reading Isaiah chapter 49. Which, again, this is the epiphany of Jesus Christ. Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was talking about the epiphany, the revealing of God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 49 has this conversation around what it might look like when God shows up on the scene. Isaiah chapter 49, beginning reading in verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he, was, he had made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a shepherd's sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. 
He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant. Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me in, is the Lord is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a, his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Father, as we go into this conversation about a scripture that was written 2,700 years ago, we often think it's a culture today that what does a text that was written 2,700 years ago have to do with me today in the 21st century God, I, I need you to reveal that right, right now, what this means to us. God, I pray that the time that I've meditated on this verse is, uh, is authentic and that the words that I'm about to speak right now are just words from those conversations I've had with you this week. And may one person today catch a glimpse of what it might look like to continue to be the epiphany to those around them the epiphany of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We feel this way sometimes. What I'm talking about is verse 1. You know, we are a garage door society. Often real estate agents would struggle even selling a house today that doesn't have a, a garage door. Because... We, we want, not for, you know, what, from, some of us want it for a man cave, I'm sure, but other people just want it to be a place that I can just escape from the world. We want to be able to press the garage door button, drive in, press it, go down, and we want to go into our house, and we want to be an island. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Those that are trying to escape the world, you are amongst the world John Donne, a famous poet, poet, had this poem called No Man is an Island. Pretty popular poem. I'll go ahead and read it for you right now. No man is an island. Entire of itself, every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is in the less, as well as it is uh, pro, uh, promontory, were, uh, sorry, as well as if, if, if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind and therefore never send to know. For whom the bells toll, it tolls for thee. In this poem, John Donne explores the idea of connectedness of people. People are not isolated islands. We are all part 
of a larger thing. And if one person dies, everyone is affected. One of my favorite Christian bands going about 10 years ago, I was privileged to be able to see them in concert, but this band named 10th Avenue North used this John Donne song, and I've never forget the main point of the lyrics. The main point is this, no man is an island. No man stands alone. Each man's joy is joy to me. Each man's grief is my own. We need one another. So I will defend each man as my brother, each man as my friend. No man is an island. Although we live in a garage door society, we need each other. We may feel that we're comfortable in our binge watching of Netflix and and escapism from the realities of this world, but in the end, we need each other. So the scripture goes on to say in verse 2, He made my mouth like a shepherd's sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Often when I read scripture, I want to make sure that when I draw into the me's and the we's, I draw myself into that conversation. Verse 3 continues to say, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. He's saying that to each one of us. We are all in that place where we are, have the opportunity to be God's servants. Displaying his splendor. The neat thing about Jesus and God himself is he both protects and he judges. Verse 4 says, but I said, I have labored to no purpose, is, is, is what, the, what, what the conversation that Isaiah is bringing back. I've spent my strength in vain for nothing. Yet what is due me in the Lord's hand? And my reward is with my God. The main emphasis of this passage is the prediction and the prophecy of Jesus' coming. As followers of Jesus, we often get to be seen as co-laborers in this prophetic message because as followers, we are the continuance of this message. The epiphany of Jesus continues with us. Verse 6 and 7, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Israel or Jacob and bring those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. The Gentiles are, of course, and especially in today's context, are those that don't know the impact that Jesus can have on their lives. That's the best way I can define the Gentiles. The Gentiles in those days were people that didn't believe in the one true God. Same goes with the people today who have not been revealed the true nature of Jesus I will make you a light to those Gentiles, for you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. This is Jesus. And we are the continuance of his name. Often, the first words that might come out of our mouth and we are not separated from those that are in Scripture. 
as those that are considered servants. These three words are prime on our lives. I'm not ready. I'm not ready, Pastor Brian, to have those three relationships you're talking about. I don't think I have enough relationship with Jesus. I don't think I'm strong enough in my faith. I, I'm not ready for that journey. Which I reply with these words. You never will be. You never will be. We never will be feeling equipped enough to just start. So here's my call out with these three people that you're thinking about right now. Just start. And here's how we start. We start with the first word, to just be authentic. You don't have to be fake around these people. You don't have to be even Christian around these people. You just have to be you. You have to be the person that God has called you to be. You know, don't go into a relationship without being authentic. And don't go into a relationship to seek to influence that person towards some end. This is not a call out to change that person. This is a call out to change who we are being around that person. Now, with the authentic line in mind, what does that mean? The first thing we need to remember in being authentic is that we don't have to seek to influence that person towards some end. There's not a goal in mind when we have relationship with this person. We need to, though, remember that Jesus is already working in that person's life, whether they know it or not. We just have to join Jesus in that relationship. We have to begin to see how Jesus is already working in that relationship and maybe speak things out of that person. What I mean by that is if they're a kind person, you acknowledge that. If they're a loving person, you acknowledge those things. If they're a giving person, you acknowledge those things. You be authentic around them and you tell them the authenticity of their own lives. But you don't try to influence. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to influence them to some end. The goal is to be their friend. And a friend loves that person. Part of this whole lectionary journey is in the discovery of Epiphany, we discover how important Jesus' baptism was in the Epiphany and the revealing of Jesus. John chapter 1, if you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll begin reading from this point on. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and, and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit came down and to remain... Uh, the, Come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I have seen him, and I testified that this is the Son of God. Every time you read through Scripture, you know, something new is revealed. It's, it's just the way Scripture works. And I remember reading this Scripture, and I thinking it was, it was almost in the exact moment that it had occurred. The baptism occurred, and, 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 and John is in this mindset where he, he knows right away. But in this, we have to understand that John, the writer of this gospel, is writing about John the Baptist. That's a key thing that you have to know is that John is not writing about himself here. It's another disciple that had spent a lot of time with Jesus. And this John that writes the scripture is the probably, if I were to assume anybody gave a eulogy about Jesus, my thoughts is it might have been John might have been John who, if Jesus needed a eulogy, of course he didn't because he raised himself from the grave three days later. But John might have been thinking, okay, if I give a, a, the, Jesus his eulogy, what would it look like? And I believe the Gospel of John is part of that. Is that if I were to give that, this is what I would say. And in seeing Jesus post-resurrection, he's able to now write this story in the mindset that Jesus had raised from the grave. So every time you read this, there's a new, fresh understanding. And John the Baptist is being written about a fresh, new understanding of who Jesus is. And the first steps of discipleship masks this misunderstanding that remained in place until after the cross and resurrection. So we're reading this post-resurrection, but this is coming off of the baptism of Jesus. And so there's this fresh writing of what had actually occurred at the baptism. It's an important point to make uh, for John here, right? He's interested in evangelizing to the Jews in his own days, this John the Baptist. He wants people to change their lives. And simultaneously, he's encouraging his people around him, his disciples, to take steps of faith and begin the detailed explanation needed for these first century Jews as to how the first converts came to accept that the promised Messiah had to be crucified, cursed like an abominable criminal. So what John the Baptist is getting across here is potentially something new. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is a fresh understanding for him. John had no idea about this when he baptized Jesus. When he's baptizing Jesus, he's seeing this as, I'm not fit to, to, you're a better man than I am. That's what John is thinking in this. He had no idea about this until the dove shows up on the scene. And he hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. John baptized him as his cousin, knowing the first 30 years of this life, I'm not fit to baptize you. You've lived a perfect life. I don't even know if you have anything to repent of. And Jesus is like, you've got to baptize me. But here's a key thing that we need to draw from this. You don't have to go out of your way or add something to your task list. John was doing what he was already doing. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was baptizing people. And Jesus shows up on the scene. Think about this in your own life. Jesus is going to show up on the scene of your workplace, 
in your neighborhood, in your schools. If you invite Jesus in, Jesus is going to show up. You don't have to change your lifestyle. You don't have to change your life. You just have to expect Jesus to show up. John was doing what he was doing and he was, what he's supposed to be doing. He's baptizing and Jesus shows up on the scene. Whether you're working, shopping, being a hockey parent, a dance parent, playing cards with retired people, you know, doing puzzles with people that you love, whatever you're doing, you just have to expect Jesus to show up and be surprised. That's what John was. He was absolutely surprised. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is that it might be revealed to Israel. It was a surprise, and John was baptizing and praying that God would be revealed in what he was doing. So here's the key point. Pray that while you're playing cards, epiphany happens, that God just shows up. What I mean by that is conversations just start happening. And those conversations may or may not lead to conversations about Jesus, but they might also just lead to conversations about the nature of Jesus. Loving relationships, sharing relationships, whatever that might be, these conversations might just happen. And the epiphany of Jesus will happen in that card game. We don't have to go into relationships with the sole purpose of people being converted. We just have to go in with authenticity. That's the first goal. The second is this. Be interested. Be interested. Verse 35 to 39. The next day, John was there again and with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Again, this surprise. I'm like, oh man, John is so excited at this point. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I don't think he said that. Like maybe like, what do you want? Or, or I don't know how Jesus would have said it, but it was a really, you know, inviting, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. Is about the 10th hour. Andrew, you know, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him. First thing Andrew did was went and told Simon. So now everybody knows each other. And they start running in the same circles. It might be just a day later, but there's conversations that's kind of starting up, who this Jesus is. And Jesus begins to build his group. Who is this group after all? Who is the group that Jesus is talking about? Well, for us, you begin to think about those work people, the hockey parents, the book club, the quilting guild, whoever it is. Who's in that group? Andrew hears about it, and the first thing he, he does is, i got to tell my brother about this. And he runs and says, we've found the Messiah. 
He had found them. Which leads me to a thought. Have you found him? Have you found Jesus? Are you like Andrew in this story? You're surprised and captivated by Jesus. You know, even though Andrew's probably just spent the last 24 hours knowing now that Jesus is the Savior of the world, potentially, that this, this is the Messiah, the first thing he wants to do is, is he wants to go tell his brother. He, he, he wants to get this information across to his brother. And of course, the person he goes and tells is Peter, who becomes the stalwart, the rock of, of the gospel you know, message. Peter himself, i got to tell Peter, So in telling Peter, he begins the conversation. I don't know what that conversation would have looked like when he went and told Peter for the first time. Would have been, hey, Peter, come with me. And Peter was like right away. Now knowing Peter and knowing what I know about Peter now, my thought process might be is when Andrew said, we have found the Messiah, I think there's some text that's missing here. My thought process is it's probably an hour, an hour and a half, two-hour conversation where Peter's like, as if. You know, because that's who Peter was, right? Peter was probably like, Andrew, I'm going back to my job. I'm going, I got better things to worry about. That was probably Peter. And Andrew probably had to listen to Peter for a little while. He probably had to be interested in what Peter might have had to say. And then probably had to reiterate again in a meaningful way, what he'd really experienced. Andrew probably had to stop Peter and say, Peter, I'm hearing what you have to say, but just come. Just come and check him out. And Peter probably humored him. Peter shows up on the scene. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. I'm sure at that point, Peter was thankful that Andrew stuck it out, stuck out that relationship. So the first two things were be authentic, be interested, but be meaningful in these relationships. What does this look like? It looks like this. Just keep showing up. And don't, you don't have to motivate the relationship other than just be in relationship, The motive of relationship is just relationship. No other reason. This is the key. People will see through false motives. If you're showing up to to change them, they will see that false motive. But if all you're trying to do is love that person, they won't see any motive at all other than the love you have to offer them. But if you're trying to influence a person, then you, you can never really be in a relationship with that person relationally, relationally. So don't try to influence. Don't try to change. Just try to be in relationship. Keep the conversation going. And just love. Over the next little while, we're going to continue as, it, as, as we speak through these conversations is to continue to equip each one of us to have these conversations. Because sometimes I really struggle with conversations that go beyond how's the weather, right? 
You know, by the way, it's supposed to be freezing rain a little bit later on today, so, you know, be protective. And those are where the conversations go. No, honestly, there's freezing rain later on. So, you know, protect yourselves a little bit later on. But that's as far as the conversation goes. We have no idea how sometimes to take it beyond that. So over the next little while, my goal is to work on my relationship and my relationship conversations and begin to help each one of us and equip each one of us to have these conversations. Because what do the conversations really look like when you're sitting around the table playing cards? How do we get beyond those relationships, just those starting introductory how's the weather conversations? What does it look like when we're playing cards or talking to other parents as we're watching our kids in gymnastics or stitching stitches on a quilt. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm sure conversations happen in those, those, those times, you know, um, putting together puzzles, talking about books that you didn't read at book club, <laughs> having meaningful conversations. Because if all that relationships were used in our own lives was to get to a means to an end, they wouldn't actually be, be relationships. Andrew had a relationship with Peter. What does your relationship with those around you look like? So the epiphany is not about God sending Jesus because he was the most effective way of getting us as humans to do what he wants. It's not that at all. The epiphany, the creator revealing Jesus, is so that we can have relationships with him and then have relationships for love's sake with others. So as the worship team comes up, and we begin to go into this journey of loving neighbor one more step. I ask you again, who's going to be at your funeral? Who's going to be in your life from this point on? And maybe they're already in your life. Maybe you just have to begin to work on that relationship and identify that person as that, that person that you're really going to just make an extra concerted effort on. Not to change them, not to influence them, but to have a relationship with them. Who are those three people? Again, I ask you, who's that person that surprises you at your funeral? Who's the person that shares your story at the funeral and the impact that you had on their lives and who's the person that's just desiring to be in the front seat who are those three people and when you leave this place today maybe you give them a call and you ask them a question it's not a question like hey do you have Jesus in your life no it's a question like this how's your weekend going tell me about it just tell me about it. Be interested. And those meaningful conversations will come.